Hello again, and welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, episode 413. This is the weekly podcast about American flowers and the people who grow and design with them. It's all about making a conscious choice, and I invite you to join the conversation and the creative community as we discuss the vital topics of saving our domestic flower farms and supporting a floral industry that relies on a safe, seasonal, and local supply of flowers and foliage. This podcast is brought to you by slowflowers.com, the free nationwide online directory to florists, shops, and studios who design with American-grown flowers and to the farms that grow those blooms. It's the conscious choice for buying and sending flowers. And thank you to our lead sponsor, Florist Review Magazine. I'm delighted to serve as contributing editor for Slow Flowers Journal, found in the pages of Florist Review. It's the leading trade magazine in the floral industry and the only independent periodical for the retail, wholesale, and supplier market. Take advantage of the special subscription offer for members of the Slow Flowers community at deborahprinzing.com, where you can also find the show notes for today's episode 413. Our first sponsor thanks today goes to the Seattle Wholesale Growers Market, a farmer-owned cooperative committed to providing the very best the Pacific Northwest has to offer in cut flowers, foliages, and plants. The Growers Market's mission is to foster a vibrant marketplace that sustains local flower farms and provides top quality products and services to the local floral industry. Visit them at seattlewholesalegrowersmarket.com. Our theme for 2019, 50 States of Slow Flowers, continues today with Bethany Bernard of The Flower Peddler, based in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Listen for my conversation with Bethany in the second portion of this episode. Today, we're visiting Palmer, Alaska, and spending time in conversation with Misty Vanderweel of All Dahlia'd Up Flower Farm. Misty isn't your typical Alaska grower because you won't find a single peony in her fields. She claims she'll never say never, but for now, there are so many other flowers, including, of course, dahlias, that Misty loves growing on her highly diversified flower farm. I first met Misty in person when she attended the inaugural Slow Flowers Summit held in Seattle in 2017. She is a force of nature, high energy, inquisitive, intelligent, and passionate about sharing her story. It was hard to miss her sitting in the front row during the lectures, interacting by sharing positive feedback with our speakers, and making meaningful connections with fellow summit attendees. As soon as I met Misty and her pieces of her personal journey, I added her to my mental list of future podcast guests. We almost had a chance to record an episode this past February when Misty returned to Seattle to attend the Northwest Flower and Garden Festival. I was working for the show that week, and while we had coffee together, there wasn't enough time to grab a recording. Soon we agreed, soon. Well, soon was this past week, and Misty graciously agreed to jump on Skype with me to talk about all things Alaska flower farming. It is at the peak of her flower farming season, and I seriously wonder how many hours of sleep Misty is getting in each 24-hour period. Probably only as few hours as there is darkness up there in the land of the endless summer sunshine. Sleep-deprived or not, this is a fabulous conversation, and you'll learn volumes. Here's a little more about Misty, excerpted from her website. 
She writes, I am a born and raised Alaska chick with a flower addiction for sure. I'm proud to grow award-winning seasonal blooms for market, weddings, flower CSA, and our seasonal farm stand and flower shop. From July through the first frost, our gardens are bursting with color and flower magic. We grow vibrant dahlias, fragrant long-stemmed sweet peas, sunflowers, and more. Although not entirely a one-woman show, I run farm management, floral design, marketing, and field operations. I consider the flower farm my baby. That being said, I couldn't do what I do without the loving, strong support from my husband, Glenn, my daughter, Jenna, and the best in-laws a girl could ever ask for. I started growing award-winning flowers five years ago in remembrance of my son. When he was in kindergarten, he brought home to me a potted dahlia plant, not yet blooming, for Mother's Day. But when I learned dahlias grow from tubers you can divide for more and more every year, my interest was piqued. You see, Luke had Duchenne muscular dystrophy, an incurable muscle-wasting 100% fatal disease. We were told Luke would be lucky to graduate high school, which he did in 2010. However, my entire world came crashing in when he suddenly passed away at age 21. I was left not only devastated, but not really knowing what to do with myself. My daily life as I'd known it changed in an instant. The grief at times was unbearable. Then I remembered all those tubers and flowers started healing my shattered heart. Well, you'll want to listen in to hear the rest of Misty's beautiful, powerful story and visit the show notes for today's episode at deborahprinzing.com to see photos of Misty and her farm, her flowers, and more. You'll also find the links to her social places so you can follow along virtually or figure out how to visit her farm stand if you're in Alaska sometime soon. Let's get started. Welcome back to the Slow Flowers Podcast with Deborah Prinzing, and I am so excited today to introduce you to Misty Vanderweel of All Dahlia Up Flower Farm. Hi, Misty. Hi. Oh my goodness, it's so fun to be here. <laughs> I know. The, we saw each other in person in Seattle, but now you're on the line from your wonderful farm in, is it Palmer, Alaska? Yes, correct. Hey, tell, mm-hmm. us, tell us where Palmer is. Okay, so Palmer, um, so I usually use my hand to describe this because <laughs> you can have like an upside down, I don't know what you'd call it. You make an L to your hand and you just turn it up, turn it, uh, so you turn it right. Yes. So we were, uh, yeah, so we are like uh, 40 miles north of Anchorage and that's kind of that where our main international airport is and uh, it's kind of the main hub of Alaska. Mm-hmm. From there, most everything spins from. Yeah. And so we're just, we're, you know, about 45 minutes, uh, north of there. Yeah. So, and, um, yeah. So Anchorage, Anchorage is your Metro market. It sounds like it, it, it pretty much is. Um, Palmer's known uh, to be part of the Matanuska Valley, mm-hmm. um, back in the colonist days. This is, this is where the agriculture started and just kind of really, really took off because there was a lot of colonists here and they needed to eat. And the only way that they could get food was it shipped in. And so they had to learn to grow in Alaska's daylight. <laughs> oh my gosh. Well, we're getting ahead of ourselves, but I just have to comment. Thank you for saying Matanuska Valley because I can never pronounce it. I always, I know there's sort of this <laughs> Matsu or some kind of shorthand that people refer to. I'm probably not yep. even saying Matsu. that right. Matsu. Okay. 
I remember, yeah. I remember like literally 15, 20 years ago when I was writing for Sunset Magazine, someone did a story about the state fair and Alaska, which must be in your region, and these cabbages that are like the size of, I don't know, I don't know, world globes or something. They're enormous. And that, that yeah, like that, a Volkswagen bug. So I'm right next door to that state fair. Oh my God. Did Wait, I cut you off. You <laughs> said like a Volkswagen bug. Is that serious? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. No, some are so giant. They look like a little car, like a big, you know, a little car. If it's a vegetable, it's very big. <laughs> <laughs> well, I have to say that's the first time agriculture and Alaska like could be said in the same sentence in my mind. But since then, of course, uh, this whole explosion of flower farming has taken place in Alaska. And the, one of the reasons I've always been enchanted with you and your story is that uh, while there are hundreds of peony farmers in Alaska, you, and you, I know you grow peonies, but I'll doll it up. It grows such <laughs> no, a, don't. such a diversified <laughs> menu of flowers. So give us a snapshot of, of your, of your farm and your operation. Oh my goodness. Well, a uh, long time ago, six years ago, I decided that I was just going to grow dahlias. That was all I was going to grow. And I'd always grown a little bit of sweet peas and some sunflowers just for my own, because those remind me of my grandparents, you know, mm. and, and, um, and anyway, so I decided to start growing flowers because I'm like, is this a thing? Mm-hmm. Is this even a thing? And so I get on Google <laughs> and I'm like, well, Obviously, it's a thing. Florists have to get their flowers from somewhere. Where are they coming from? And so I just big research, and I realized it was a thing, and that I was going to give it a whirl. But dahlias, <laughs> so I mean, how it started. yeah, mm-hmm. and dahlias are you know native to Mexico. So how do right. they, how do they grow in Alaska? Unbelievably well. Mm. <laughs> um, we have to start them early, obviously indoors, um, and then you can transplant them outside. Um, I do know people that are very creative and warming the soil and getting them in in the ground tuber. Um, but I find it's much easier for me to start them in pots early in March and then go from there. Mm. So your land is um, your growing area is mostly undercover, or do you also have field grown area? Field growing I'm area. All all except for not even, I wouldn't even say a fourth of my operations, all field grown mm. as of this year. Yeah, I have a little over half an acre. Um, majority of it's all field grown. Um, I have two 85 foot rows that I use in a hoop house, just one road over from me. Mm-hmm. And that's new this year. Mm. That's new this year. Mm. Yeah. Wow. So when you I actually I love to be outside. And mm-hmm. so up until this last year, it wasn't even what I wanted to do. I didn't want, I didn't want a hoop house. I didn't want to do that. And anyway, I, I'm totally a flower freak. So it, it, it didn't work. <laughs> but uh, the hoop house does. Uh, I, it sounds like it is a tool that you can use to get earlier starting and maybe later harvest, or is that, I mean, just like everybody else, yep. right? Yeah. Oh, yeah, just like everybody else. And, of course, we have that wonderful word frost that happens usually sometime in September. Mm. Um, some flowers, actually, a lot of the hardy annuals can take a couple frosts, which is very awesome. And then once in a while, we'll get blessed and not get a, a really heavy frost until October, and that was last year. Thankfully, because we didn't wow. have a very good summer last year. Yeah, I, I, Alaska is is enduring a lot of climate change uh, effect, uh, you know, season to season, and it's not consistently different. It's sometimes it's mm-hmm. it seems like it's sometimes really wet and sometimes really warm and sometimes freakily freakishly cold. I mean, do you have a handle on that, or is it just change when the weather tells you to? 
there's really no handle on that other than have your frost cloth ready. Mm. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and, you know, and there's not much you can do as far as the light goes. And the summer has been very hot. And even on our cold days, we're still in the 70s, which is bizarre for me. I was born and raised here. I was like, what's going on here? But I just, we just ride the wave. I mean, the show must go on. Yeah, I mean, like Alaska got, okay, Mm -hmm. we're we're talking on August 1st, but Alaska got like hit national news reports a couple weeks ago about it's over 80 degree weather. Did that affect you? Oh yeah, it was it was it was over eighty degrees. A lot of times, we even had ninety here on the farm. Um, you know, I grow everything in black landscape fabric, so we can only be out in the field till you know noon, one o'clock, because it just got too hot, which I've never experienced in my entire life here. Usually, yeah, it gets warm in the afternoon, but only you're talking seventy four. You can work in seventy four, mm-hmm. but ninety, you can't work in ninety. And so mm-hmm. I felt like those some of the growers I hear like, yeah, we get out there early to get the, you know, get through the hot of the day. And I'm like, I've never had the hot of the day. (laughs) (laughs) Oh my gosh. It definitely affected me that way. It affected the flowers. Um, uh, stuff that was, shouldn't be blooming yet was blooming. Um, it affected some of the flowers growth. Like we had big, thick, thickest straw flower stems I've ever seen in my life. Mm. Mm. <laughs> it looked like sunflower stems. I'm like, wow. what is going on here? Yeah. But yeah, so it was interesting. Um, and um, but things are loving this cooler weather. It's it's exploding. <laughs> oh. So things have cooled off a little bit, and the the your crops yeah. are responding. Yeah, because the dahlias did not like the ninety. They, 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 they didn't really want to bud yet, and they just kind of were kind of holding off. And mm-hmm. now that it's it hit the the seventies, and of course they love the fifties and sixties, and then the warming up during the day. Um, yeah, mm-hmm. they're they're. I I, I harvested. Oh, I don't even know how many on on Monday. Um, finally, they're just they're starting to explode, which oh, makes me happy. <laughs> I think I saw some of your posts about that on Facebook. So uh, that's probably that's actually kind of what prompted me to follow up on my promise to you that I made in February when I saw you in Seattle that we had to do a podcast about what you're doing at All Dahlia Up. So um, maybe we should get back to business. Um, I saw I, you had told me that you had some dinners planned this summer, so I want to talk about that. And then I saw that you opened a farm stand. So give us sort of a snapshot of all your marketing channels and who's buying your flowers and, you know, how how are you getting them to your customers? Well, it's quite extensive operation. I have many avenues um, that flowers go out of here. Uh, the main one, the big source is I attend the, one of the big markets in Anchorage called the South Anchorage farmer's market. And it's just farmer's market and all locally grown products, all Alaska grown. Um, Mm. it's gotta be somehow, excuse me, Alaska uh, related. And so that's, that's my, my main every Saturday that's off. I go, um, and I sell out every Saturday there. Are you selling mixed bouquets or straight bunches or I do it all there. Mm-hmm. I, I have mixed bouquets. Um, I bring dahlia arrangements. And mm. right now, you know, Alaska's still really big on the, the my little mini jar uh, masons, I call them. They're, mm. they're 20 bucks, and I take 40 or 50 or even close to 100, and they're all gone every Saturday. <gasps> wow. So it's a mixture of everything. Yep. Wow. I, that's amazing. And I cut you off. You started to say about that market, what some other nice things about that. Well, it wasn't really about the market. Mm. What has um, what's propelled me to open my flower stand mm. was 
the local market here where I'm at, my uh, my little, we have a couple little small markets here in town, which I have attended over the years. Um, I've done a couple pop-ups just in my yard because I'm not very far from my little my little town center here. And um, I always do better with the pop-up in my yard versus spending all day downtown from where I'm at. And mm. so I just, and then all the local markets complaining because I was selling everything in Anchorage, you know, and so they're we want something out here. And so I did that. And, uh, my opening day was last Thursday. Um, you know, and just with any opening, this is going to basically just take some time. But what I did from there is, uh, this where all my CSA, uh, customers can come pick up their bouquets or weekly bouquets is there mm. and in the, in the stand. And so that really makes it nice. Cause then, you know, I can upsell, um, they bring usually, you know, family that have been out of town or whatever because everybody loves to come to the farm everybody loves to come to palmer because they have the most beautiful backdrop with pioneer peak and i have vegetable fields all around me so it's just it's it's picturesque it's beautiful mm, mm-hmm. i've actually been to palmer once i have some old family friends who live there so um oh that's cool yeah that's yeah cool. you and probably then- you probably know them dave and margie parker Oh, I know who it is. Yeah. Isn't <laughs> that weird? Definitely. Um, it's funny. So it, I also, from from the, uh, so that was a flower farm stand, and um, it's been doing well. I really like that. I also have a business subscription service where businesses can um, get a bouquet a week or even their tables done um, once a week for mm-hmm. eight weeks. Mm-hmm. And so that's actually a delivered service, which works out really well with my schedule, how I have it all set up. I have a, oh my goodness, for weddings, we have an a la carte menu. And then last but not least, which is some, one of my favorite things I love to do, is the agritourism side of my farm. And that is the field to table dinners. We've done some theme nights like this last Saturday. We did a chocolate and bring your own wine night, which was a blast. We did flower halos. Mm. And then, the, but the field to vase stuff that I do, you know, you get to make your own bouquet to take home. You get to play in the flowers. And of course, my area is just so gorgeous. They just, I, I have to kick people out. <laughs> I'm kidding. Oh, wow. <laughs> they just want to stay. It's just beautiful. And I love it. And we have a spot where they, they can, they can hang out afterwards and, and visit and visit and visit. And so, um, yeah, I love it. So you're, you said you're growing on just over a half an acre, but how big is your actual farm? Oh, geez. Um, okay, so my husband, he is uh, the oldest of Vanderwill Farms. And Vanderwill Farms has been a farm for 50 years, a vegetable farm. And my father-in-law started with almost nothing. And now we have, I want to say, around 500 acres, I give wow. or take. And my husband and I have our five acre piece right in the middle of that all. Wow. And so they've always, you know, my father-in-law is like, you always, you got to grow something. You know, I'm like, well, you're growing all the vegetables. I don't know what else I could grow. (laughs) And so, um, but it has been a delightful surprise, which I'm sure we'll get into in a minute and how, how it evolved. Well, it sounds, it sounds like you've got a lot of just, just, psychic support with being in a farming family where the infrastructure's there and there's an understanding of what you're doing and what support, you know, what resources you need to pull it off. Right. Oh, definitely. Definitely. And, and, and more success I get actually, the more support my family is, um, you know, they're growing on hundreds of acres and I have over half an acre and they're like, what are you doing? You know, (laughs) 
first, you know, I'm like, well, I, and I just tell them flowers aren't vegetables. They're not even a vegetable. You cut it once and it's done. Most of the flowers I grow are cut and come again, or at least medium producers. Mm -hmm. And um, so I don't have to keep tilling. I don't have to keep pulling. Well, in our wonderful daylight, yeah, it keeps going. Wow, that's <laughs> amazing. I, yeah, but I am spoiled. You know, space is not my issue. Space is not a problem. Um, I can grow. I could. I could grow 40 acres of, of flowers if I wanted to. Oh. Not that I want to. Um, that's uh, like I said, flowers aren't vegetables. Unless you create like a, a flower hotel and like get really big into agrotourism where you're like, you can accommodate, you know, but that's a whole different business model. It sounds like you're. I love your vision. <laughs> <laughs> so um, obviously you're in uh, your valley must have sort of like a river soil. Like, is there what is the soil uh, that you're dealing with? It must it must be beautiful. Well, where I'm at, yes. We have in some places, you know, four feet of topsoil. Wow. So, and it's, and it's rich from the glaciers and, but, um, actually all of Alaska does not have good soil. Um, you really, and you if you're getting a farm, you really want to make sure you're in an area, um, that has good soil. So you want to pull the soil maps, um, because we had wind erosion. We had, you know, lots of the river water erosion over. And so if you look at all of the, the maps, cause I've had people, we're going to start growing, we're going to go and they go by and they're going to go get a farm and they get there and they're like, there's no topsoil here. <laughs> Just right. gravel. Right. <laughs> so yeah, you really have to pay attention to that, but there is some farming belts here in Alaska that has really wonderful, rich soil. And that's where I'm at. I get wow. to play in this wonderful, rich, beautiful glacier I mean, there's actually a name for it. I can't remember it, but it, it's wonderful. It wow. really is. Yeah, that's, that is just, like you said, you're lucky in that maybe some of these things were already in place for you, too. But you took, yes. you took those opportunities and blew it up to all dolly it up. And I love the name. Obviously, that was sort of your first official crop. Um, had anybody been growing dahlias in uh, Alaska, I'm sure people had in their own personal gardens, yeah. but in terms of a yeah, commercial crop, there, there was, yeah, there, um, yeah, there was a gen uh, gentleman, um, and he still is, he still grows and he, he grows his in hoop houses. He's closer to the mountain than I am. Mm -hmm. But yeah, there was, there was, he was just the only one I knew of. Of course I knew of tons of home gardeners, um, you know, that grew, dahlias and flowers and vegetables and stuff just because of the family I'm involved in. You right, know? right, right, right. And, be, and I'm being born and raised. I was born and raised right here. So, you know, I knew everybody I knew. So, yeah, <laughs> of course there was. I mean, that's, that's the whole reason why the Alaska State Fair is even there is the, the agriculture. Wow, that's amazing. So they have flower competitions. They have vegetable competitions. And, yeah, it's, it's pretty cool. It's so interesting how we have these assumptions about places we've never been or have only seen on a movies or on TV. And then to meet <laughs> you and, and to meet so many other amazing farmers and flower farmers and growers in Alaska has just changed my whole perspective. And it's been really inspiring to watch what people have done. And for you to go from zero to, you know, <laughs> zero to a thousand <laughs> in six years, so amazing. What were you doing before you um, sort of embraced flower farming as, as sort of your profession? Well, I was actually the multi-entrepreneur type, many different directions I wanted to go or thought I wanted to go. Um, when I first started flower farming, I actually wasn't in a very good space personally. Um, 
I had just lost my son. Mm. Um, but the actual flower farming itself and stuff and farming in general is not too far away um, from, you know, what I'd always done. But I actually wrote, oh, how many books? I think I wrote, at, at that point, I'd written nine or eight books on Duchenne muscular dystrophy. That was a disease my son had. Wow. Can um, you say, say, that a, say that again just so I can, people oh. can hear? Yeah, it's called Duchenne muscular dystrophy. So okay. he's a Jerry's kid. Okay. A lot of people wow. can identify with that. Yep. So um, that, you know, that pretty much, it. Well, I, I almost lost him when he was 18. And I watched him fight for his life. And that made a huge impact on me. And so I, I knew I wanted to write a book. At that point, I couldn't barely turn on a dang computer. I didn't even know. <laughs> I, my grammar's horrible. Spelling's awful. And I knew this about myself, but I just knew I had to, even if it was just for me and the family, I had to get this out. I had to get his first 18 years out because mm. he changed my life. Mm. He changed my life. And so I, I knew I wanted to document that. And I knew, you know, the longer you go, you don't, you real, you know, your memory's not as sharp on things. And so I knew I wanted to capture it. And so I did. Long story short, I did that, and oh, there was another thing that impacted me. There was no parents talking about it on Facebook, or no parents. They say they want this change, but you don't even know these parents even have kids that are special needs. Wow! And so it, I, I, I feel like I would help actually change that a little bit. It wasn't. I didn't do it alone, obviously, but some of the books are actually uh, collaboration stories from all over the world of people dealing with this disease, and wow. um, that's it. Made a huge. That's where my advocacy started, where my public speaking started. It's where it all that, that, that hub there, that whole just living that life really changed mine. And so that's basically how it happened. I was an author. I was writing. I, you know, I think um, I had a little bit of a kind of self-help coaching thing going on with other parents. And um, that's kind of what I was doing. Wow. I always knew I had something else to do, but that for then was what I needed to do. Yeah. And when did you lose your son? It's been seven years ago. Wow. And wh um, what was his name? His name is Luke. Luke. Okay. And Luke, yep. so yeah. Luke, you had Luke, you had Luke till his twenties? Yeah, he was 21. Wow. Yep. Oh. He was 21. So um, I'm going to fast forward or going to go back a little bit anyway. Yeah. Um, when he was in kindergarten, uh, I had met Glenn when he was four, my husband now, and he and just adored Glenn. And it was, it was kind of meant to be right from the get go. Mm. And, um, so we knew he had muscular dystrophy, but he was four. And so he was still walking a little bit. He was, you know, so he went to kindergarten. Um, and also since I live in this area, there was a farm not far from here that was, you pick, not you pick, but uh, you pick up your little bouquet of dahlias and put your little money in the thing and go mm -hmm. home. And I just loved that. And so Glenn and my son, Luke, would go get me weekly dahlias mm. all summer long. Mm. And so well, he was excited to bring this little dahlia plant home to me because of that. Because he knew, you know, he's seen my house plants and I grew some sweet peas in the yard, you know, but he... He knew I, I would love that. And so he was really excited and he brings it to me. And it was, it was sad looking. I didn't know if I could live, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. And so I did, I asked Luke, I'm like, well, honey, what, what, what color is this flower going to be? And he's like, well, I don't know. They just, we planted seeds and, and so it was actually a seedling, right? So I was like, of course I didn't know that then. 
And uh, so anyway, I make it healthy and we plant it in the yard and it, it bloomed purple and purple is my very favorite color. That's and great. so, um, yeah, it was just really, really cool. One of my father-in-law comes over and he's a Dutchman from Holland, farming vegetables his whole life. <laughs> and he says to me, well, you know, um, dahlias grow tubers and tubers that can be divided and you have more and more dahlias. And the diagnosis of muscular dystrophy, or Duchenne anyway, it's not it's not pleasant. Mm. Um, I was told that Luke would be lucky to graduate high school. Mm. That we would, would have him that long. And so when my father-in-law told me that I could have from this plant many, many more, it just it inspired me to grow them, mm. grow all those. I, and over the year, I'd propagated them. And I didn't know what I was doing, obviously, but people from all over the friends have clumps of it all over and everything but I you know and I really had no idea what I what gift really I was giving myself wow well when you really talked, didn't when you <laughs> talked about you know coaching and nurturing other people in a way the flowers were doing that for you e- even it kind of oh, snuck definitely. up on you right well it kind of did so what happened is um he passed away obviously it was very suddenly we weren't prepared he was actually on the upswing. He was living on, on his own right up from us with care providers. And it had been a really stressful time making sure that all all the pieces are fitting. But he, he managed to live six months on his own. And so that was really cool. Yeah. But, you know, he did die unexpectedly in the middle of all that when we were on this upswing. And um, so, you know, going through grief is, is hard anyway. Um, and, and even though I was... Pre- you know, I wasn't prepared to lose him, but I knew I would. It, that didn't matter. It right. didn't matter. It hurt so dang bad. I was in such a spot that I, I'm in a very outgoing, fun-loving person. And I kept saying, this isn't me. This grief isn't my personality. Mm-hmm. <laughs> this isn't mm-hmm. me, right? Right. Uh, I was really concerned for myself. And, um, but then I remembered I had all the, the, the tuber clumps, you know? And so I planted those. And when they bloomed, I... <laughs> I wasn't prepared. <laughs> it was like he's loving me from heaven. Yeah, There's, yeah. That's the only thing. And it's still like that. That's still those first blooms are still like that. And so um, that year I also grew enormous pumpkins. I had never grown before and stuff. And it just, the, the gardening part of it and, and those flowers, it just, and also something else happened. I'm like, I wonder if I could do this as a business because mm, <laughs> I mm-hmm. loved it so much, you know? Mm-hmm. So really and that's when I started the research. Yeah. When you started, <laughs> you, you see, so you started com- growing flowers sort of as a business just within the first year or two of losing your son. It was the following year. Wow. Yeah. And, and I, so, yeah. I and totally I, see the connection like this, this rebirth, this, this, you had this nurturing of something beautiful. It must've made you feel deeply connected to him and his memory. Um, Especially those purple dahlias, right? Oh, definitely, definitely. And um, <clears throat> so, but I knew to start small. My, um, grief took my energy and just plummeted mm. it to the ground. I was t- always tired, um, which was weird for me because <laughs> I'm very high energy. You are. And so I, so I decided that I did. It was the first thing in my entire life that I had started slowly. I've always just jumped into everything, and so um, it. It was a it was a good thing. It forced me to to slow down, and kind of smell the roses, kind of say, even though I don't right. grow roses. Right. I also don't grow peonies, by the way. <laughs> well, why not? I don't grow any peonies. You know, I think that's interesting. Like, figure your lane out and stay in it, right? 
<laughs> because well, the, and I'm not saying I'm never going to grow them, <laughs> but I just there's so there are so many. I've decided not to say I'm never growing anything ever again because the minute I say never, yeah, no, we ain't doing that. <laughs> but but those peonies, those peonies need companion flowers, and that is where you oh, show yeah. up, Misty, and provide that. Um, when I met you, you, uh, I think you came to the first slow flower summit in Seattle in 2017. And that's when you told me little bits of this story. And you mentioned the book you wrote about specifically about how flowers saved your life. And can you talk a little bit about that book and, and is that available for people to order? Uh, it is, it's actually directly from my publisher, lulu.com. You just search my name or you can search flower power, the title. Okay. We'll put a link in the, in the show notes for today's episode. So it's called flower power. Yeah. Flower power, uh, poetic residence of meaning connection and healing flower magic for living a full bloom life. Mm. It's not a long book. Um, it's just a glimpse into exactly what happened and in my mind, how it happened and the science little bit, I dipped into the little bit of the scientific and spiritual side of it, of why I believe they healed me, have healed me. I mean, obviously you're going to grieve. I'm going to grieve. I know for the rest of my life. Um, but the flowers, um, just, they do something to me and not to me only. I think they, they connect us all. And, um, and from, so, the, from from the grower or from and from the to the buyer, I have when I my weekly customers just to see their face when they show up, it's just amazing. So I know this is real. I, flower power is real, <laughs> right? And then that that little book ha- kind of led you through a lot of doors that were unexpected in, in terms of mot- not really. I don't know if you'd call it motivational speaking, but inspirational speaking uh, for all kinds of audiences, right? Yeah, yeah. And, you know, with Luke's diagnosis, he was the poster child for muscular dystrophy uh, when he was little. And so that put me in the spotlight where I even learned that I could speak public speaking, that I wasn't scared of it. And mm. so um, um, what's interesting is everything I've done from the time I was 14 years old, um, even losing Luke, all the businesses have led me to everything I need to be successful in my flower farm. And it's, it's, I mean, we could talk for hours and just that alone, <laughs> but the book, I wanted just a small compilation that somebody could hold and, and, and read and see the journey. Well, and I feel like you probably will never know how many people you've touched and inspired and given encouragement to. And that is just that kind of, again, back to that circle of life. It's not to sound trite, but to live a life that is honest and truthful, even in the painful parts, is so many yeah. people are afraid of that. And I just admire what you've done. It's, it's really inspiring. Yeah. Thank you very, very much, Deborah, for recognizing that. Um, I remember the first time I recognized it, that that my story could do that. My story, you know, we mm-hmm. all think our story is not that compelling and all that stuff, you know. Um I just, it gave me some power. I realized we're all human. We're all here living this life. None of us are guaranteed to get out alive, right? Right. (laughs) That's a a certainty. (laughs) Yeah, but nobody's talking about the painful parts. But you know what? The the vulnerability and the painful parts is what connect us all because we have that. We all share that. And and, because sometime in your life, you're going to lose somebody. Sometime you're going to have loss. You're going to have divorce. You're going to have financial struggles. I mean, the list goes on. Everybody has something. And, 
And if I can show them that me, just a human being out here, you know, sharing exactly with with that, my heart, my tears, my blood, sweat, and tears, actually, mm-hmm. <laughs> you know, um, yeah. that just touches me. That may, that fuels me. And the, and the flowers have given me a vehicle to do it. And I, and I love it. it um, I, and that's kind of another thing. Um, I belong to several women's networking groups and they're the ones that put some of these events on for public speaking. And I felt that I needed a book to help put all that together and now I am being asked to speak places and I'm at, you know, I'm asked and I also have another book in mind. And so, um, yeah, that's kind of where it went. And when Luke first passed away, I, I thought I had, I started grief counseling and coaching and that sort of thing. And I real I thought that's what I wanted to do. Right. Right. <laughs> and, and I am, but I'm not doing it in the, you know, traditional sense. sense. Right. You're not mm-hmm. getting a, a master's yeah. in counseling. You're getting a master's in flower power and using your, yes. your story. Well, and, and Misty, I mean, I don't think you have to be an extrovert to have this kind of impact on people. I, I think your personality no. is certainly uh, magnetic and, and kind of infectious, but but it, I'm sure you've, you've had all kinds of experiences that have been very quiet and not up on stage and that are just as important. Well, oh, definitely, definitely. When I, when, you know, a lady who has somehow unbelievably made it through the loss of three children come to you. And she's a quiet lady and she, and I could tell she loves life, but I see a deep sadness in her eyes, but they're sparkling and they're holding my book or they're holding my flowers. And, and she's just quiet and she's just, just looking at me, not saying a word, but holding my hand. I mean, Mm. those times, they are the ones that get me too. Mm. And um, yeah, so definitely. So this year has been really You've, you mentioned how much growth you've had with All Dahlia Up. What what do you attribute that to and sort of the, I don't know, the, the temperature or the zeitgeist of what's happening in the marketplace these days for locally grown flowers? Well, I definitely have seen um, definitely a change in people's minds. Um, the first year I showed up at market, oh my gosh, your flowers are gorgeous. Where's your greenhouses? You know, like, well, grow, feel grown, you know, that sort of thing. But now it's people are actually lining up waiting for me to unload. Wow. They're there only for my flowers or flowers. And then they're going to go buy some vegetables because they know if they don't get the flower arrangement they want, when they come back, it's going to be gone. (laughs) I have a full table and (laughs) they can put it back there and (laughs) they can get it. So, but there's been this shift. I actually think now I could show up in my little area here and still make some good money just standing there with or pay somebody to stand there because there's this shift that people want local grown. They want beauty in their life. They're getting back to, oh, man, it's so nice just to have some flowers on the table, <laughs> you know, and and um, but yeah, definitely. And I know that's definitely part of my growth. However, since I did grow slow, I have slowly scaled up every year. I've sold every flower. I've not so I've this is my first year I've even thrown away anything. Wow. wow. And is <laughs> that just be, does, is that just because you don't have probably don't have time to market those flowers like you're you're pretty overextended right it, now. Well, it's not so much that it's just they, they, some of those flowers have been like between the window between Monday and Saturday. Mm. I like to bring quality to market mm. or something got forgot in the corner, you know. Mm-hmm. I see. <laughs> Nothing yeah, nothing marketable is being thrown away right now, but um, 
like, or seconds, you know, some of my second sweet peas, they, they, I'll keep them everywhere and then they start looking not so great. So those will get thrown away, but most anything that's, that looks good of quality, we send over to our pioneer home here. And what is that? Is that another project of yours? No, the pioneer home is a, um, the senior housing. Mm. Mm. Oh, I see. So so uh, you, you donate, you donate your, um, your extras to, to the senior housing. Yep. Yep. And unfortunately that doesn't always happen because sometimes on Tuesday I'm too busy and that's the day I deliver. Yeah. Yeah. Sometimes it doesn't happen, but most, most are flowers. They go over there. That's sweet. But yeah. So anyway, like I said, this is the first year, but I was told by a flower farmer down, I can't remember what, what conference I was going to is you're, if you're not throwing away at least some flowers, you're not growing enough. Yeah, because you know, I get, I, the- <laughs> yeah, I gotta wrap my head around that, but I, I think, I think that makes sense in a way that you're, you're subconsciously or consciously grading out your flowers as you're harvesting, and you know what your premium flowers are, and you know that yeah. that's that's your brand. So you really are making choices to put your best product out there, and and that may mean that there's some seconds or some too short stems yep. or like you said stuff in the corner that you missed, and that makes sense. I, I hadn't thought about that. It's it it kind of is the corollary to that. I I know that I've heard from so many flower farmers saying if you see a photograph of a flower farm and there's color showing, then that farmer yep. isn't selling his or her flowers because you you wouldn't right. let you wouldn't let things open the buds open. You'd want to harvest them you know, at an earlier stage, right? That, that definitely. And so that is actually plays a huge part in when I plan my agritourism events, because, you know, people are expecting to see flowers, <laughs> you know, right. and so, so I have to, I have to move my harvesting days around. I also have to choose what, what I'm going to do and how I've kind of, kind of, I don't know, fixed that issue, I guess you'd have to say is um, my main yard where I started it all is very manic. Now I wouldn't say very manicured, but it's beautiful. It's, it's kept nice. It's maintenance. I have a sweet pea tunnel that I can actually let go for say a week. If I have a wedding or an event coming or a tour coming. And so that, that's the first thing they see is those mm. flowers on the tunnel. And, mm. and, um, and matter of fact, you've probably seen some of those pictures this week I uh, have. before it was harvested. And of course, my daughter and I were out there harvesting it yesterday crying because it was so beautiful. We're like, oh, we got to take these flowers off here, you know? And oh. so we ended up with uh, four big buckets of uh, sweet peas that were seconds, and they're going to go out by the road today when we open the flower stand. Oh, my God. I did and, see um, those. I saw those photos. <laughs> I, I didn't know what they were, but that would you share some of those so I can put them in the show notes for today's episode so people can Oh, sure. Come see. Definitely. So um, the the manicured area, is that where the dinners and, and gatherings are, or how, how does that yep. get set up? Yep. Okay. Yep. That's right. In my front yard, we have a log-sided home that we've built ourselves, and it's this beautiful setting with the mountain and the green grass. And of course, in Alaska, where everything's so vibrant because we have daylight so long. And um, yeah, the colors don't even also, look real. It, they hurt my eyes. Right. <laughs> <laughs> it's so crazy, and some of our sizes we get on these things. And um, but yeah, but they, it all happens right there, all right where the magic started. Right where Luke played as a little boy, where my, where my daughter has had her 16th birthday party. You know, it's it's a part of our life right there, definitely. So when you do the dinners, I have a couple questions because I think listeners who are 
small-scale flower farmers who are thinking about diversifying with events would really gain some insight from you if you're willing to share. Like, what is your structure? Sure. How many guests can you accommodate and how do you charge? I'm just curious about some of those things. Well, um, when I first started, I just knew it was a way for me to share my story, share my flowers. I started with 54 dahlia plants. I mean, seriously. Wow. <laughs> so, you know, I, I started so small. And so my first tour I ever did, I think we had six, ten people at one and six people at the other or something like that. But um, from them, I, I surveyed every one of them. Some of them were my really close friends. And I had some deep honesty about it. And I knew it was a direction I, ha- I needed to go in. And so I... Um, my price point comes from what I'm going to offer from the bouquet for the flower bouquet to the meal. I like to do Alaska grown meal. I find a caterer that's willing to use our our vegetables from Vanderbilt farms and anything other thing local. So we, I I strive for at least 80% Alaska grown on the meals. And so So you're, you're getting like produce, greens, um, berries, stuff like that is eggs. Yeah. Wow. Yep. Okay. But the yep. fact that a lot of it is and grown right there at the Vanderweel farm adds yes. another part level to the, the yes. local story. Yeah, it sure does. It sure does. And Vanderweel farms about a few years ago, they have a new crop strawberries. And so that's been a huge thing uh, to offer because nobody local can get the strawberries because they all head to Anchorage and are sold. And so, <laughs> um, ah. so yeah, so I can, you know, I can go get a, whatever I want, right? Oh, I <laughs> so, love it. So I cut you off. Yeah, so so, yeah. so you've, you've kind of priced it based on the the dining experience with, with whatever the chef prices out the cost. Yep. And then uh, everyone who attends is getting uh, to, to, to make a bouquet during the experience or do yep. you pre-make them? Yep. Nope. They, they get to make them. And now with the flower farm stand, um, I can have that stocked with bouquets and other flowers if they want to buy more because that kept, that, that's the one thing that everybody kept saying all these years is like, we want to buy it. We can't, we just leave here and not buy flowers. You know, mm. I'm like, well, it's, we don't have any to sell because they're all being sold, you know, and that was the, why I scaled to over half an acre this year and brought on tulips was my new crop this year. And, and, um, now we have the flower stand. I actually wanted to open the flower stand a little earlier, but life didn't let me do that yet. Yeah. Is the flower. So <laughs> but I did. What's the price range of the dinners then roughly? Cause it probably depends on the chef and all of that. Yeah. Well, the dinners, you're going to look at a price tag of around $165. Um, the chocolate and wine night, that's a $99 ticket where I can have more people attend. Um, and we're doing flower halo, so it doesn't take up as much space as doing the uh, arrangements. And so um, I do, uh, I can do up to 30 on the chocolate and wine night. And then on the dinners, I take only 25. Oh, that sounds so manageable. And that, that price sounds incredibly competitive based on what else other costs I've, or yes. ticket prices that I've seen other people charge. Um, and it's back to your whole philosophy of, of kind of growing slowly and organically, you know, what a great experience for someone who comes to that more intimate 25 person dinner than something that's, you know, a hundred people and it's a, a big circus and nobody, yeah. nobody really enjoys themselves. So I, I love that you're that going for quality over quantity. I think that's, that's really inspiring. Well, the other element to that is um, 
I want them to have a personal experience. It, it's purposeful that it's only 25 people, mm-hmm. very purposeful, because then I can give each of them attention. Um, because when I sit with my event coordinator, we, I want, we go from, how do I want people to feel? I yeah. want them to feel connected to nature. I want them to see a piece of life, get reconnected with something that maybe they have forgotten. And, um, so that all that plays into how the tables are set, what gifts they get at the end of the night. Um, it plays all of that in all of that. Cause I, I, I don't want it just to be this, some commercialized, you know, romanticized thing. I want that to be real. And do you make a little bit of money or do you see it more as a marketing tool? No, I do make money. Mm-hmm. Uh, it, it pays for all the food. It pays for uh, their flower arrangement. And then, you know, it gives me room that I can grow mm-hmm. the price point mm-hmm. later. And then the flower stand with the people wanting to buy my book, my pendants, my flowers. Ah, oh, I have one of your pendants. I love it. Uh, let's talk briefly about their jewelry and then <laughs> we probably need to wrap up. <laughs> well, I um, the first year... I we I planted the dahlias. The frost came. I went through grief again because the flowers were gone. It was a different kind of grief. It wasn't mm. just grieving my son all of a sudden. It was grieving that feeling that that the flowers bring me. Oh wow! And so I had to find a way to to keep playing with those flowers. And I was a, kind of a neat thing that happened out of flower farming. One, I learned I could design flowers. Two, I knew I loved color. And three, it was like. Was I could take good photographs. Right, right. <laughs> and so, um, yeah, and so I took those photographs and I, I searched online for hours and hours and finally found a way to um, adhere the uh, photographs on the back of the glass marble. And I learned how to make the little bales or little hangers so that the chain or the cord could be wrapped around your neck. And, and uh, mm-hmm. yeah, I make those and I, I sell out of those usually every year. I only make a certain amount of the flowers from the previous season, obviously, with the photographs. And then, um, so this, this year you're seeing photographs from last year. Well, you gave me, on the pendants, yeah, so you gave me, different. you gave me one of your marble pendants and it is, it's just got the perfect size, especially depending on if I want to wear it like more like a choker or longer, but, um, yep. I guess it, it does spark a lot of conversation because people look at it and they're, they you know, kind of peer in and, and ask what it is. And so I can, I can imagine that that's the takeaway that people want to have a little piece of your farm when they come to an event yep. and you're giving them something that's, well, even, you know, more, more permanent. Yeah, well, well, we have, you know, people that come here from all over the country really, and they can't necessarily buy flowers to take home with them, mm. but they can buy a pendant. They can buy a book, you know, something that they can hold and uh, be a part of that. Um, But there's one other thing that I wanted to share before we get off here, and that is, I think, I mean, a book is really a big business card. It really is. Mm -hmm. It doesn't take a lot to to do one. Um, But yeah, if you're going to get into the agritourism, this is my only piece I wish I would have done sooner, and that is have the farm stand or some way for them to buy more product, Mm -hmm. because they're going to ask. Mm-hmm. They want it. Uh, you know what? I really appreciate you bringing that up. I remember when I was working on the 50 Mile Bouquet and Amy Stewart, who's such a goddess and wrote Flower Confidential, wrote my forward. She's the friend you met her at the summit uh, in 2017. And she mm-hmm. even, with all of her New York Times bestselling books, she even basically said to me, 
a book is a marketing brochure that someone else is printing for you. And just get it out of your head yep. that you're going to get rich off your book. Just use it as a tool for other things. Right. And that you've, you're, you've right. basically illustrated that with what a calling card it is for you. Yes. And then yes. on your farm stand, I, I know we, we could keep going on, but I'll try to wrap up after this. Is it on the honor system or do you have to staff it? Like how, how, what, when is it open? How I, do you run I, that? I stock it. I stock it. Uh, the only part that's I would call in the honor system, my Tuesday CSA pickups, nobody's in there. It's not stocked with extra flowers or anything. They can just come pick up their bouquet. Um, but no, we stock it. Like after this phone call today, since it's opening day on, it's not opening day, but we open on Thursdays. Mm-hmm. Um, we're going to go stock it. We're going to put, we made some bunches last night. Um, well, of course I'll be making bunches through the day. I mean, it's, it's op- just now open. So I'm not getting tons of traffic all the time. Um, and, um, I, my sign is purposely smaller this year, so I can just kind of get a feel for it. Um, I, I, will post on Facebook and send out a newsletter type of thing that my flower stands open, but I'm not doing a whole lot of really heavy marketing of it just yet. I really want to get a, I've learned over the years, just as when you're adding something, I, I want to do it little slower so I can mm-hmm. iron out the bugs and see, you know, if people want bunches or do they want to pick their, their stems here at the farm? Do they want, you know, I want to know basically, you know, you know, What's, where, where the majority of that's coming from. Yeah. How you're going to meet those, those demands and, yep. and what those are. Yep. So yeah, I'd love to have share a photo of your farm stand too, just to give people like an idea of what it looks like. And I feel like this on-farm retail is growing exponentially as a category for people. Um, And it is daunting if you think you have to be tethered to a cash register uh, 24-7. But it doesn't sound like you have to do that, and you've trained your customers. Um, Yeah, yeah. We're open 11 to 7, Thursdays, Fridays, and Saturdays. Um, Saturdays, it's actually kind of slow until they know I'm home from the market. (laughs) Oh, she's home. Let's go talk to her. You know, that sort of thing. Um, I personally... Um, do Thursday. Thursday's my day. I get caught up on my bunches. I can make the, the CSAs for Friday. Um, I get to talk to customers. Uh, it's a fun day for me. That's it's neat. a little bit slower for me, so I can gear up for the market. For the market, and you know, then we have to come in the flower stand now. And so, yeah, <laughs> and slowly adding pieces. <laughs> I'm, I'm kind of laughing because slow in Misty Vanderweel's vocabulary is different <laughs> than my, most other people. <laughs> Uh, well, people don't know when this is all going on. We, we, my husband found uh, my first box van, right? And so I'm like, I don't have time to even go look at this thing. Are you kidding me? Just go buy it for me. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> no, wow, it was great. No, it's it's been great, growing, growing, growing. Oh, well, thank you so much for jumping on the line with me. And listeners, Misty got up and. Sh- jumped on the line with me at 6 a.m. Alaska time because she has a very full day ahead and a lot on her plate. And so send her all the uh, Slow Flowers love you can uh, after hearing this. And uh, if you don't know this woman, you can now find and follow her on all her social platforms um, and get yourself to Alaska to one of those dinners. Um, You've got a couple more events and dinners on the calendar for the rest of the season, right? Yeah, I do. I do. Um, we have the field to vase and uh, field to table, yeah. too, farm to table event on the it's August seventeenth. Okay, and then we have another one on September 
I believe eight. That's a Sunday, I believe. And um, what we didn't t- say, my events sell out. They're, they're, you can't get a ticket. You can follow my Facebook and see if somebody wants to sell a ticket if they can't <laughs> come or something. But we are completely sold out. We, get, we usually are all sold out by April. Yeah. Oh, I see. Well, get on the mailing list for, for notices for next year. Or if you announce on Instagram or Facebook, people will can find and follow you. Yeah, come to Alaska. Come to Alaska. See our field. See our farming. See see all Palmer has Ah. to offer. It's pretty cool. Well, it's on my bucket list to come back. Um, I just love your state and I love your story. And thank you for such a personal story today, Misty, too. I know it's going to touch people in ways we can't even imagine. But that's sort of the story of your life. That happens. Those little miracles happen every day for you. And um and thanks for sharing some of it with us. You bet. You bet. No problem. I think more people need to share all the moments. And, you know, one other element that it had for me is I get to say his name, Luke, many times and bring his energy right back to the forefront. And it's, it's amazing. And I think it's a great way to not just keep his memory alive, but just keep his love alive for me. Mm, mm, that's a wonderful story. Mm. Thank you, my dear. Uh, we will talk soon. And uh, good luck getting through the next few days. <laughs> Oh, somehow, some way, God willing. <laughs> hey, I'm sure the minute that first frost hits, you just give yourself a little, a couple days off just to recover, right? No, not in Alaska <laughs> because it, we could get harder frost the next day and can't get the tubers out of the ground. <laughs> oh it's my happened. God. Oh my God. Okay. Wow. Well, blessings on you, my friend. And thank you so much for sharing your story today. It's been awesome. Yep. Bye, Deborah. Thank you so much for joining my conversation today with Misty Vanderweel. If you're interested in reading her book, Flower Power, Poetic Resonance of Meaning, Connection, and Healing Flower Magic for Living a Full Bloom Life, I have included a purchase link in today's show notes. I also have a link to Misty's Etsy shop so you can find and order her charming Dahlia pendants. Our next sponsor thanks this week goes to Northwest Green Panels. Based in Madras, Oregon, Northwest Green Panels designs and constructs a wide array of wood-framed greenhouses, offering versatility, style, and durability. Their greenhouses are 100% Oregon-made, using twin-wall polycarbonate manufactured in Wisconsin, making Northwest Green Panel structures a great value for your backyard. The 8x8-foot modern slant greenhouse has become the essential hub of my cutting garden. Check out photos of my greenhouse in today's show notes or visit Northwest Green Panels at nwgreenpanels.com to see more. Now, let's visit New Jersey as the next stop in our 50 States of Slow Flowers series. Please meet Bethany Bernard of The Flower Peddler, based in Bridgeton, New Jersey. Bethany Bernard and her husband, Dan Voringer, of New Jersey-based The Flower Peddler, grow cut flowers on 10 acres, serving wedding and event florists, DIY wedding clients, and customers at four farmer's markets. I recently interviewed Bethany for a Johnny's Seeds article called Your Seed Chronicles, Planning and Planting for an Abundant and Frequent Floral Harvest. I'll share a link for you to read the article. It has great info from Bethany and from four other Slow Flowers member growers. And you'll want to check out photos, links, and details about Bethany and her New Jersey-grown blooms in today's show note at DebraPrinzing.com. 
I'm so excited today to be visiting the state of New Jersey, which of course is the Garden State, and I want to welcome Bethany Bernard of The Flower Peddler. Hi, Bethany. Hello, how are you? I'm great. I'm great. And thank you for being our New Jersey voice uh, on the 50 States of Slow Flowers series. Um, well, thank you for having me. Yeah, we've never met in person, but we've chatted numerous times. I, I loved yeah. I loved interviewing you for the uh, article that ran, uh, I think, at the beginning of the year in on Johnny's yeah. C's newsletter about um, kind of crop planning. And you had some amazing ideas and in, in the way you do things. So um, thanks yeah. for doing that. Oh, thank you for ha giving me the opportunity. Didn't I make you take a picture of how you used your cell phone or something? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. My husband took a snapshot of me um, doing exactly what I normally do um, when it comes to crop scheduling. So, yeah, my phone is probably my best friend. Um, we keep track of sales. We keep track of crop production when shipments are coming in. Everything, everything is in that phone. Well, if I I'll, lose it, I'm pretty much dead in the water. <laughs> <laughs> You're screwed. Well, I'll put a link to that article in the our show notes today, so people can go uh, find okay. it if they haven't done that. But let's talk okay. about let's talk about you and the flower peddler. To give us a snapshot sure. of the flower peddler, which is a great name, by the way. Oh, well, thank you. Um, years ago, I couldn't decide on a name. I had originally started out as Bernard Farms under an umbrella of my father. Um, who run, who basically runs our farm, mm -hmm. our family farm. But then I wanted to have a separate name and I didn't want to just, you know, I didn't want anybody to be confused with me or my dad or, you know, so I, what I did was I came up with a name and I, I just, it just kept coming to me. Like I felt like I was peddling flowers back <laughs> in the day, uh -huh. you know, and it just, it just stuck. And so I registered the business that way. And, um, I know it sounds more of a retail name, <clears throat> so to speak, a brick and mortar, but um, we are by far not that we're at that point yet. We're wholesale and then we do farmer's markets. But so I guess we kind of peddle our wares at the farmer's market. So yeah, your, your, <laughs> your farmer's market is your retail, right? Yeah. I mean, technically, yes. Interesting. Um, and we started those because we we deal with a lot of events only florists. And if it doesn't match their list for the week, then I end up with an abundance of flowers. So that's how we started um, with having standing bouquet orders every week for certain uh, stores, um, cafes. And then we started with um, doing the farmer's markets, you know, because people just want fresh bouquets, you know, they don't care like that they you get a bunch of lisianthus or something like that, you know. They're just happy to have local flowers. It's absolutely. Wow. So where are you located in New Jersey? Uh, could you give us a little geographic snapshot? So our farm is um, in Salem County, New Jersey, which is basically about 20 minutes, 25 minutes or so from the Delaware border, about as far south as you can get unless you were considered the Jersey Shore. Okay. So the little town that I grew up in and that our family farm is in is pretty much the last little town, a ha I guess a hamlet, so to speak, mm -hmm. before you get to the Delaware Bay. Wow. Um, we're about 15 minutes away from where a lot of fishermen in the area, um, you know, put their boats out in the water because we're that close to the Delaware mm -hmm. Bay mm -hmm. Reservoir, that area. 
So your like your clients, your wedding and event clients, especially uh, design studios, um, they're not they're doing business more like I uh, in like D.C. or Philadelphia or Baltimore than Manhattan. Is that how it works out? Um, pretty much. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're doing so. I we haven't pretty much gone beyond the Philadelphia area or Southern Jersey. Um, I have delivered to Brooklyn before. Um, but we have been able to sustain our little farm by just staying in the area. Your, um, your balance between wholesale and retail is really interesting because I think that people could take uh, maybe a little snapshot or a, borrow a page from your book and, and figure out how to balance that. A lot of times I've heard from farmers who said, well, the wedding and event designers want the, the muted, softer, pastel palettes and the farmer's yeah. market customers want the primary colors. And is that how it shakes oh, yeah. out for you? Um, not all the time, but primarily they are correct. Um, we have also one thing that I don't ever grow enough of is a white flower. <laughs> Everyone and says I, that. <laughs> we, have, we have a following at the market that that will always ask for a green and white bouquet. Oh, wow. And I never can have enough white. And I tend to stay away from growing white because they get so, we're primarily field grown. So they get spotted in the rain, irrigation, you know, stuff like that. Because we overhead irrigate and I just don't want to mess with them. Yeah, interesting. I do, I have started adding more of the white flowers. But like I said, we do have a following for white and green shades. (laughs) I I love that. That's that's cool. Well, so tell me, what are the names of the farmer's markets you're selling at? Well, we sell at one called Haddon Heights Farmer's Market. That is our big one on Sundays. It's in the morning. And then um, on Thursdays, we are at Palmyra Farmer's Market. And that is our furthest market where it can be average an hour, hour and 15 minutes, depending on traffic, away from where my husband and I live, not from the farm. Uh-huh. So it's kind of a it's kind of a hike. And then Saturdays, we alternate Saturdays at a place called Merchantville Market Off Center, um, and we do their first Fridays, of which we were there last night. Mm, wow! And then, yeah, and then there, um, that's it right now. We um, that's we're enough. In another one. <laughs> that's enough. You don't need to do <laughs> well, more. We were in a fourth one this year, but um, I had to pull. It was just getting to be too much, and my husband and I still kind of work full time too. Both of so you. We, we, does, we do a lot of juggling. Oh, my gosh. So uh, yeah. when did you start the farm? I know you, and I want to know about the, your dad's farm. Is that more of a food farm? Well, so when I was very young and, and, and throughout the years, because my, my father farmed that farm with his parents growing up. Oh, wow. So they had, I mean, they did, so, oh, my gosh, they, they, they did strawberries, asparagus tomatoes, eggplant. They had contracts with the Heinz company at one time. So it was a very, it was a flourishing farm, but as uh, the markets waned in favor of produce, my dad had to switch to grain farming. Mm -hmm. And so when I was very young, that's what I remember him doing. Um, And then he switched back to produce where he had fields and fields of tomatoes, eggplants, peppers, and that's how I learned, earned my first allowance was working the summers, polishing tomatoes for for market and washing peppers. 
Oh, oh my kid. gosh. Oh yeah. You yeah. Did, you learned mm-hmm. how to, you didn't even know you were learning how to be a farmer when you were that young. Did not. Wow. No. Cause I, I, I hate it. It's funny. Cause I hated everything about it. I did. Cause I, I just wanted to play, yeah. you know? Yeah. Yeah. And my dad was like, no, 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 this is not how we, how we do it. You, you <laughs> do this first and then you play. So then my mom was a floral designer. <clears throat> and so I learned the cut flower and dried flower end of her business in the eighties when dried flowers were really kicking. Right. Was she growing? Was she growing her everlasting? She grew her own product at the time. Wow. So yeah, she, and she grew all of her dried products. And when my middle sister was born, my mom left her floral design position at the local florist and started her own business. So that's when she started growing her own, you know, dried flowers and stuff like that. So Gosh. then she did it out of her home, out of our home. She had a whole workshop and she made a business um, out of it. And um, she was also um, a professional bow maker for a local business. And so we, that's how, that's how my sisters and I grew up. Just, we were, I don't know how to say slaves to retail. We, yep. under, I, we, we accustomed ourselves to the life of retail family you know we the swing of the seasons and everything like that and so when it came time in high school to decide what we wanted to do with our lives I couldn't think of anything else that I knew how to do because I had my life was immersed into farming yeah so I but, went to Delaware Valley College and got a degree in ornamental horticulture your your life was immersed in but in two kind of in two intersections of the farming and then the design <laughs> and that's so yeah rare what a what an amazing um, I don't know DNA you, your parents gave you um, yeah and and I did tag along with my dad's parents um, a lot um, and, and learned you know my grandmother who is still here with us today at ninety eight she. Um, she taught me a lot of, you know, farm life because, you know, I was over there quite a bit mm. and, yeah, you know, and I had a great grandfather. My mom's grandfather um, taught me a lot of his end. Like he built my mom's greenhouse. Wow. You know, so I learned a lot of different things from him. Um, he had, you know, he grew roses and things like that. So I had quite an education before I even left you know before yeah. I even left grammar school so to speak and when you went to horticulture school did you think you were going to go work like in the landscape design world or what what did you oh. think you were going to do well I started out as a landscape design major that's what I actually started oh, out wow. as. I just I guessed realized that. <laughs> that yeah I did and I, first semester there I realized that that wasn't for me because I wasn't about um urban planning Mm-hmm. And so to speak, because that's what they, they tend to, um, make you do a lot of drawing and I wasn't, mm-hmm. I'm not a drawer. Mm-hmm. So I, I, but I can put a landscape, I can put a landscape design together for you, <laughs> right. but I can't draw, I can't be, um, a landscape designer, so to speak, where it's like, I'm an engineer kind of thing. You yeah. know, I just did not, I did not want to be stuck inside. Well, you know, I have friends. they most of the time don't get outside. Yeah. And I have friends like that too, where if you just had a whole driveway full of plants that you'd bought at the garden center, they, you know, my girlfriend can come over and just place everything. She doesn't dr- yeah. 
draw it, but she it physically knows where it needs to go. And it sounds like that's the kind of designer you are too. That That is. And so when I realized that that, that major wasn't for me, I switched to floral crop production. Oh, wow. was more my wheelhouse. Yeah. And so, yeah, I, I, then I did all of my time because we had to have certain hours, you know, before we graduated in, in the major. So I completed my hours on the grounds crew at college. And then when I, you know, I was working at a retail garden center and that, you know, I, I had a lot of background when it came to retail already. And I just ended up working for a mail order nursery catalog company right out of college. Um, I worked for, I managed a, a nursery and garden center after that for three years. And then I, where I am today, I am still with a wholesale nursery. I've been there for 17 years. Wait, so, you're doing, you're but, doing that full time. Uh, well, yes. Oh my God, <laughs> Bethany. That way. Oh my God. So when, how did you squeeze in starting the flower peddler? It, did, what, like how long, long ago did that happen? Well, uh, I was already doing it when I, I oh before I was you were actually starting it yeah before I even met my husband I had already started it and and it was in its infancy stages um, I had always wanted to do growing of unusual cut flowers and cut branches that was always I didn't want to do the the general product sure I wanted to grow the neat cut branches like witch hazel and winter back then winterberry was, I mean, still popular, but it was still like, what is that? Right. You right, know? right. It's and, not, not <laughs> commonly seen at the, even at the wholesaler. Exactly. Yeah. And so I wanted to grow different viburnums because that's what I was exposed to mostly when I was working at the garden centers and they just, and, and it fascinated me more than, um, yeah, anything else that you could think of, like sometimes it even fascinated me more than growing values. Wow, <laughs> that wow. can be believed. So rough. But I just, you know, it's just so so different. Yeah, That's what I wanted. So roughly now, um, you have how how much acreage and that you're actually producing so, on? We we have uh, ourselves about ten acres. Okay. And that's through rotation that we do. Mm-hmm. So I have permanent plantings of shrubs which are like Physocarpus, Winterberry, um, our greens for Christmas. Mm-hmm. I have viburnums, different types of willows, pussy willow and curly willow, um, forsythia, we have hydrangea lime lice out there. Mm. Um, so yeah. And then I have a, per, I have perennial plantings, which average from like, they could be anywhere from the yarrow to, I have com- perennial campanulas out there. I ha- I grow a lot of baptisia. Um, just, I, I, you can't even, I have echinacea. You can't, I can't even keep track of it all. <laughs> and then we throw in the, you know, the annuals. Yeah. Wow. And so with all that combined, we make a, it, it, it calls for a really nice bouquet. Wow. You know, and that's wow. what we go for. Oh, good. Well, I hope you can show, share some photos uh, with me that I can put in the show notes so people can see what you're growing. It actually boggles my mind. I really, uh, I think you're amazingly entrepreneurial that you are. <laughs> Thank you. When do you sleep? I don't know. Um, well. <laughs> you see sort of something on the horizon that might change for you uh, or for your husband? Well, it's, it's funny that you say that. Like, so last year I did give my resignation 
However, my boss would not allow me to leave. Oh, no. And so um, I've been making it work. However, you know, as I get older, and, and, and I'm not really that old, but I've been doing this for a long time. And then you get to a point where, you know, you have a lot on your plate and you yeah. have something has to give. Yeah. So we we kind of made the decision that we're going to go after this year, we're going to pare down our market deliveries and we're going to go back to our, our roots where, how we started, um, where, you know, we're not traveling so much, um, Mm -hmm. where we're so far from home at any given time. We're in the car. I mean, luckily my husband and I, we, we get along really well. Yeah. (laughs) Luckily we spend together. Um, but yeah, I mean, we, we, there's a direction that we want to take the farm now. Um, we want to start niche growing and we can't really do that, um, being away from the farm. So we're going to, we're in 2020, there is, um, a lot of change. There are a lot of changes on the horizon and we're going to pare down our farmer's markets. Um, and we're going to go back to direct sales and that, that it was a decision that we made probably about six weeks ago, thinking about it, talking about it. And that's kind of where we want to go back to where, how we all started. And when you say direct sales, do you mean on the wholesale side? Yes. Okay. I, I'm really fascinated to hear how that goes for you. We'll have to revisit, uh, uh, this conversation uh, <laughs> next spring and maybe do a, a more extensive interview. And uh, I'd love, to, especially now that my son has moved to oh. New York City, I know I'm going to get to the East Coast more often. Uh, oh, I'd love great. to come out and visit you because this is, this is probably there's some threads of truth for what, what you're saying for everybody who's listening, that there's always more that you can do, but what is the smartest sustainable choice to make for your own business i think i think we we tend to try to take on it more than we can handle my husband and i yeah we don't ever relax and that's just our nature i've always worked two jobs um whether i was in high school college whatever i've always had more than enough on my plate right you're hardwired for that oh my gosh i don't know how to (laughs) <laughs> I don't know how, you know, like to even think about it. I don't even know how to think that I could even relax, you know, yeah. wintertime. I'm good. I, I, that's enough. And then I'm antsy, <laughs> but, um, I even try to fill the schedule with workshops and things like that towards the end when the fields are just using our, we're just using our cut branches and our cut greens towards sure. Thanksgiving and Christmas. So we slide in some different workshops, you know, centerpieces, whatnot, and, then I switched to winter pots, um, selling winter pots at, at events, which yeah. are planted pots of our, our cut branches. They're arranged in the design and they're for outdoor. And then we switched to mid-December doing centerpieces for events and things like that. So you don't really have we're a, constantly yeah. going. Your winter <laughs> isn't really downtime. I hear you. Wow. Well, no, it's planning. <laughs> well, before before we wrap up, I just want to ask you what you've observed in New Jersey or in your region about consumer attitudes, either on the wholesale side or retail side for local flowers. I mean, have you seen well, much change? I have. Um, we when we go to our markets, we see a very big excitement, and it's like the excitement seeing us and, and I'm, I'm sure my counterparts 
would also agree that the farmers markets have done us so much. Mm. And I mean that we pay a fee, but that, that fee goes towards them promoting all of us local farmers. Sure. So, and it gets it out there. And so the local movement has increased by amounts that you can't even imagine down here. Um, it's like, you know, they're, they're excited to see us. And I mean, every farmer, mm. um, they, they, they're not happy if they don't have their fresh flowers. Mm-hmm. If they, it, so we can't miss a market or <laughs> else they're sending us messages. When are you getting here? Um, and I also see the florists are reaching out and they want more local product. Um, with you doing your slow flowers um, movement and we're certified American grown. So we have two organizations right there that do so much promotion. It gets it out there and people start looking for those promo, you know, Mm. those logos Mm -hmm. and, you know, you both of you could not have come along at a better time. Oh wow! Well, I'm so glad to hear that, and I'm I'm just uh, excited to know how well you're doing. I do want you to take a break, though. I don't know when that's going to happen, but <laughs> but this December is December 26. Okay. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. Okay, I hear you. All right, I'll I won't bother you till after that. But I love I love that you could just pause for 20 minutes and and share your story, Bethany. What you're doing is so interesting to now know that you're like fourth generation farmer. I had no idea about that. And Mm -hmm. yet, and yet you're putting your own contemporary spin on farming um, to fit your lifestyle and to be um, driven by design is it's really inspiring. Well, thank you very much. (laughs) And you know, the support, I lost my mother two years ago, but my, the support of my mom and my dad, and my dad to this day with my husband and I, it, it goes so far with us because my dad will help us in any way to keep so that the farm keeps going. And uh, that's all that is. It, that's all that matters to us is that it stays um, relevant. Yeah. Oh, that's wonderful. Well, we'll, I definitely want you to share some photos that we can uh, let the listeners uh, check out and find and follow you on social media. And, um, yeah. And I thank you so much for taking the time to chat today. Oh, thank you. Always a pleasure. Okay. Thanks a lot. Take care. Take care. Bye-bye, Deborah. That's a wrap. As a footnote to today's episode, I have to give a shout out to fellow podcaster Anahit Hakobian of Viva La Flora Live podcast, an AIFD and EMC designer and host of the new podcast about the art and business of flowers. Anahit recently invited me to join her in a conversation all about the slow flowers movement. I'll add a link to her episode in today's show notes for you to have a listen. It's fun being on the other side of the mic, and as always, I'm delighted to have any chance to share the Slow Flowers story, mission, and vision with a new floral audience. Thanks so much, Anahit. 
As our movement gains more supporters and more passionate participants who believe in the importance of the American cut flower industry, the momentum is contagious. I know you feel it too. I value your support and invite you to show your thanks with a donation to support my ongoing advocacy, education, and outreach activities. You can find the donate button in the column to the right. Our final sponsor spotlight today goes to Mayesh Wholesale Florist. Family owned since 1978, Mayesh is the premier wedding and event supplier in the U.S. And we're thrilled to partner with Mayesh to promote local and domestic flowers, which they source from farms large and small around the U.S. Learn more at mayesh.com, M-A-Y-E-S-H.com. The Slow Flowers podcast has been downloaded more than 503,000 times by listeners like you. Thank you for listening, commenting, and sharing. It means so much. I'm Deborah Prinzing, host and producer of the Slow Flowers podcast. Next week, you're invited to join me in putting more American-grown flowers on the table, one vase at a time. And if you like what you hear, please consider logging onto iTunes and posting a listener review. The content and opinions expressed here are either mine alone or those of my guests alone, independent of any podcast sponsor or other person, company, or organization. The Slow Flowers podcast is engineered and edited by Andrew Brenlin. Learn more about his work at soundbodymovement.com. Thank you.